Good day to you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Film Focus episode 131, the double review for Halloween Kills and Venom Let There Be Carnage. Hello there ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, the Hyperson55, and I'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film-related discussion. And today, as you saw from the title of this episode, we are going back to film doubles and talking about two films today, Halloween Kills and Venom 2, also known as Venom Let There Be Carnage. Now I had planned to watch these films and have the review done by at least the early side of last week, but good gravy my schedule has been all over the place i just haven't had the time while i'm trying to watch horror films and try to watch like you know new shows watching older tv shows and trying to play metroid dread and play smash brothers because sora just came out my gosh there is just not enough time in the day ladies and gents but i'm still trying to find a way to make this whole thing work so i'm going to be talking about halloween kills first because that was the film i saw first and then we'll be talking about Venom 2 after that. There'll be time codes for everything in the whole section below. But I was curious about both of these but not really excited for them as sequels just because I feel like Halloween 2018 did enough where it was like okay you left it open for a sequel and I knew there was clearly going to be one because they announced I think not too long after that film's success at the box office that they were planning to do two more sequels so you know a whole new trilogy. But I was thinking okay I'd be curious, but I don't think I need a sequel, you know? And as for Venom, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I wasn't a big fan of that film at all. So the idea of a sequel just happening was nothing to me. But when I found out Andy Serkis was involved and saw some of the visual effects that they were doing for Carnage, I was like, "Uh, I guess I'm curious just to see what's going on. And since there's been a bit of a hullabaloo um, amongst film fans and you know comic book fans about this film I was like you know what screw it I'm gonna stop holding off and give it a watch so I've seen both and I'm gonna give you my thoughts on them so we're gonna start off with Halloween Kills so when it comes to the Halloween franchise I'm not gonna lie I am not an expert by any means as I've stated on the podcast before I've only really got into horror films in the past five or so years and the Halloween franchise just in terms of the older films has just escaped me I've been meaning to get around to them for a while, but there were always other franchises in horror that were more interested to me. Like the Nightmare on Elm Street films or the Jason Voorhees set of films, you know, the Friday the 13th ones. But when the 2018 reboot slash sequel came out, I was like, you know what, I'm curious. The trailers have been good and even though a lot of these reboots slash sequels that ignore the previous canon can go one of two ways i was like okay i'm in this horror phase where i'm kind of interested in checking films out of cinema so i gave it a look and to my surprise it was actually pretty good it just escaped being in my top 10 at least i think so but it was definitely one of my favorite films of 2018. i was surprised by the amount of depth that i had especially when it came to Laurie Strode and dealing with trauma and PTSD and how that affected her family. But also, I loved the tone. It was quite thrilling. Thrilling, that's what I was supposed to say. It was fun. And 
I loved how this brought Michael Myers back into modern horror, but in a classic yet, you know, modernish kind of way. It reestablished him as a really cool boogeyman villain that people should be afraid of. And while the last film ended in a way where, you know, it was open to a sequel, I was kind of happy that, you know, if they had left it where it was, I didn't need another one. But I was curious, okay, if they were to make a sequel, which by the time I think uh, Halloween 2018 had like started doing well at the box office, that sequel was greenlit straight away. I was like, okay, I'm curious to see what happened. So after the film was delayed, we are finally here to check out what's going on with Halloween Kills. And the end result is something that had some good ideas, but just didn't execute them in the best of ways. So plot wise, this film takes place immediately after the events of the previous film with Laurie Strode, her daughter and her granddaughter escaping her old house, which they left Michael Myers in there to burn in hell. However, as it happens with a lot of these horror films, these villains don't stay dead for long. He escapes and goes on a murdering spree again. So now it's down to the Strode family alongside the community of Hattendale to band together to take out Michael once and for all. And that's the way for me to summarize this plot without going into the era spoilers. I did enjoy the themes of trauma, revenge, and how fear and anger can mix together to cause some dangerous situations. And I also liked how this film attempted to tie in certain elements to the Halloween lore that we hadn't seen before and dealt with the idea of mob mentality. However, I feel like this film foregoes a lot of these more interesting elements just for pure action and chaos. And that led to a film that felt a lot more mindless and less substantial in its content than the previous film. Now, if you like seeing people just get mangled by the villain, that's great and all, and this film has that in spades. However, if you like some of the more character-focused and more interesting themes that the previous film had, you're not gonna find that here. I feel like this film attempts to sweep that under the carpet, but also what it does is it leads to a lot of basic horror cliches that are spread throughout the film. A lot of characters doing a lot of really dumb things. And that's not just the new characters that's introduced, but also the characters that you had beforehand. There was some character development that was done with Strode and her family towards the latter side of the film where I'm just like, some of you characters that I really hated before, I was like, oh, you actually did know something. You were actually smart. There was something to like about you. I felt like a lot of that character progression that was given to these characters was just dashed or forgotten about. And I'm like, what happened to you? And just there is a really questionable set of dialogue and plot based situations that put characters in positions that, you know, realistically just shouldn't work. And I know you could argue, oh, yeah, that's just the way that the horror genre works. People are placed in situations to get killed. But rather than it being a, you know, a good sort of horror cliche is simply written in a way for the characters to get horribly mangled and I'm like that's not good writing that's bad writing and that's a bad way to use a horror cliche you see characters just doing really stupid things or saying really silly things and you can't root for anybody in this film because they're all dummies or get put in dumb situations and certain characters have plot armor and it's just like what so it's just like some of these really arbitrary tedious and just dumbfounding situations are just there and you're like 
that this shouldn't be the case. But I understand why it's happening because we this whole Halloween reboot sequel series is being set up with another film in mind. So I'm just like, yeah, I can understand now why this is happening. And it's just like, it's a shame because there are ingredients, there are elements here that work in their little microcosms. But then as part of the larger film, it's just, it's not the one, baby. When it comes to the characters, uh, that's uh, one of the lesser elements of this film. All of the characters that I liked in the previous film are no longer here. All the ones that are here are pushed to the side or have their characterization sort of regret for some reason. With Jamie Lee Curtis, pretty much the star of the previous film alongside Michael Myers. She is shoved to the background while she is recovering in hospital. You'd be forgiven for, you know, thinking that she was going to be in the film more, but she is relegated to a background role while the film focuses on some of these other newer characters or characters that we know from previous films who have shown up again here for reasons that would become apparent once you've seen the film. But Jamie Lee Curtis, I love her. She was really good in the previous film and it's just like, she was given nothing to do and just you know besides some conversation pieces that were pretty cool that showed her still being a little bit of a tenacious character overall it was still just like you should have been the focus not all these other plonkers what the hell was this next you have judy greer who i like as an actress but in the previous film as karen laurie's daughter she was endlessly frustrating now I can understand, she was a character who had her childhood ruined by her mother because she kept getting her to be practiced and trained up for if Michael Myers ever came back and you know, how many years went by, it ruined her relationship with her mother and kept her at odds with her granddaughter as well. But then when everything actually came to pass and when the situation required it, she was youthful. But then in this sequel, for some reason, it feels like we're back with the Karen that we had the previous film, where she's just, you know, being a nag, being useless, not very helpful, and not taking the situation as seriously as one should. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? Who are you? I don't like you. Go away. And even the granddaughter, played by Andy... Matty Chak? Oh gosh, I, I probably butchered that last name, I'm sorry. Allison, I liked her because she, there was this sort of tug and pull between like the relationship with her mum and her granddaughter, but it looked like she was always a defender of her grandmother. But now, she just seems to go off and do her own thing, but I felt like her character sort of regressed again into, you know, doing some really strange and dumb things in the film. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you playing at? Good lord. The only other character that I liked that was sort of new was Tommy Doyle, played by Anthony Michael Hall. I liked him because he was a character that was in the same sort of situation as Laurie, dealing with the trauma of the past, and create this sort of support group for other people like him. But then at one point, once people get a whiff that Michael Myers is out in the area killing again, he starts to do some really strange and dumb things. And for as tough and as cool as he seemed at one point, he ends up just, just doing some really dumb things. I'm like, oh, good gravy. The only cool character in this film is Michael Myers himself. And now he sort of transcended being a tough, resilient bad guy to being an almost completely supernatural entity with super strength 
instant transmission based abilities even though the man always walks when he's taking off after people it's it's just so crazy michael miles is more than just a man now he is an entity he's almost like a teleporting ghost figure and it's just like i don't understand what is going on here and when people try to take this guy out rather than doing the logical thing of hitting smashing exploding or shooting this guy to death in the head they make these poxy shots or don't do the most logical things which lead to such easy character deaths so and you're just like what what was your plan was was that how you were supposed to do it because you know you got yourself killed clowns good gravy one thing that I would say is like the best element of this film is probably its presentation. Visually, this film looks really good. The makeup and special effects and sound design when Michael Myers goes in on some of these people is brilliant. Everything is all crunchy, squishy, ugly sounding. It makes you cringe. And especially in the beginning, this guy goes in on some people to a really unnecessary degree some people really didn't deserve the deaths that they had in this film but it definitely made for some you know very impressive kills the kill count is way up from last time this guy is just like you know what these guys tried to set me on fire in the last film now i'm pissed so now i'm just gonna run off and go kill everybody anyone that gets in my way anyone that just happens to be standing in the area if you look at me funny you're dead and <laughs> in that regard halloween kills excels all the kills were wonderfully crafted and cringe inducingly good and the music was decent but I found it less memorable than before and this film's rendition of the classic Halloween theme song wasn't as strong as the previous version so there's that. So in conclusion Halloween Kills was ultimately a disappointing sequel that had some really cool ideas but failed in its execution and just had a bunch of dumb characters that rivaled characters in South Park especially the community of Hattendale those guys really reminded me of how the characters in South Park or Family Guy treat a situation when they get into a mob. You're just like, well, you guys are idiots. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, would I recommend it? Uh, if you're a fan of this franchise, I think you get more out of this than if you were like me, more of a casual fan. I was just interested because I wanted to see what would happen between halloween 2018 to halloween kills and unfortunately this has definitely dulled my excitement for the third installment halloween ends but i'll still see it hopefully the director and the writing team can find a more satisfactory way to innovate and bring this series forward as opposed to regressing to some of these basic cliches all right now moving on from halloween to venom 2 aka venom let there be carnage now, as I mentioned before, Venom from 2018, I wasn't overly keen on. I thought that the film was okay for what it was, but it had some very messy and not so nicely choreographed action sequences. The CGI I found to be a little blurry and the sort of more comical slash humorous relationship between Eddie Brock and the symbiote just didn't work for me, but I was just in the back of my mind ever so slightly curious to see what they were going to do when they hit it at the fact that Cletus Cassidy was going to be showing up in the sequel especially with uh Woody Harrelson in the role I'm glad I got rid of that stupid ass wig man because man's was looking like some weird psycho bob foolishness 
but I think once Andy Serkis came onto the project, I was like, okay, I like Andy Serkis. He's had like some directing stuff under his belt. I'd be curious to see how he would handle a superhero property. And after hearing some of the early word of mouth and some of the fan responses to the film, I was like, okay, now I need to see what's going on. And the end result was interesting. Where I feel like Venom Let There Be Carnage in some ways I enjoyed more so than the last one but at the same time it didn't do enough to really wow me and there was something more simple about the first film that I think was a lot cleaner and plus this film was too bloody short there was a lot in this film that was rushed over but we'll get to that in a minute so as we do in these reviews we talk about the story characters presentation and the overall conclusion so without further ado let's jump let's jump in Alright, so the plot for this film could be summed up with the following. Some time has passed since the previous film, but Eddie and Venom are still squabbling and adjusting to life being part of the same being. And Eddie decides to re-jumpstart his career by interviewing famous serial killer Cleus Cassidy. However, after an altercation during one of their interview sessions, Cletus becomes infected with a symbiote of his own, turning him into the villain Carnage. So now it is down to Eddie and Venom to team up to take on this threat. And that is the way for me to summarize this plot without going into the area of spoilers. Now, there were certain things about this plot I quite liked. I was interested in the backstory of Cletus Cassidy. This sort of romance that he has with this girl he met while he was in his mental asylum school thing. I like the idea of what was going on sometimes between Eddie and Venom in terms of them trying to establish what they wanted to do with their abilities and trying to sort out the symbiote's hunger issues. And there were just a few other things in the plot that in isolation I was quite enjoying, sometimes even more so than the previous film. But this film did not take the time to dive into those story elements enough this film was zoomed by it's like it was held by the flash and ran all the way to the ending and i'm like wait we need some more time this film could have used an extra half hour or more just to dive into some of these characters a little deeper i felt for as much cletus cassidy as we got in this film i still felt like we could have dived into his backstory a little bit more had some more time between him and eddie brock just you know having some good banter back and forth, maybe having some decent wordplay and establishing some of their dynamic after Cletus got out of jail and started causing chaos. Also, this relationship between Cletus and his longtime girlfriend, Francis, it felt like it had at least a decent introduction, but didn't amount to much in the grand scheme of things and they really needed some you know, fleshing out, because at the end of the day, Frances is just a plot device. She's barely even a character in this film, which I'll get to later on. But just so many things in this film felt like they just needed more time to stew, more time to develop. Some of these things really just needed to slow down and just establish themselves before moving on to the next plot. And there were certain subplots in this film involving characters that just didn't need to be here. You can kick them out and then just flesh out the other main characters who are either previously established or come into this plot that actually have significance and it would have worked so much better. 
But the point is, this film needed to be two hours at minimum and really, really needed to sort out what it was doing with some of those plot points. Also, I like humor, but as I've said before in previous podcast episodes, comedy is one of those sort of things that's very, very subjective for me. And I felt like some of the humor in this film worked, but a lot of it didn't. It felt a little cringy at times. And while I understood what they were trying to do with certain scenes, I felt like, yeah, you just didn't have the strong enough writing to pull this off in the way that you wanted. And there is one mid credit scene that definitely changes the way you look at this franchise, which I kind of had a suspect that it was actually going to happen but I was pleased let's put it that way but at the same time I'm still just like how is this gonna work but overall I thought you know the plot it was okay there was some really fun and cool stuff in there but it went by far too quickly all right so now we move on to the characters so first up we have Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock also playing Venom as well and I thought he was okay I've never been keen on Hardy's interpretation of Eddie Brock just because I I hate to be one of those guys but it just wasn't like the version of the comics that I liked I've always been a fan of Eddie Brock as the character who was you know a villain for Spider-Man but obviously since we didn't have Spider-Man in this version of the universe they had to do something different with him and I'm sure in some version of the comics there might be somewhere where Hardy's version is similar to like some comics incarnation that we had beforehand but it just didn't work for me so what we have is this odd couple relationship between Eddie and Venom, which goes in some really odd, bizarre, and interesting places, let's just say. And some of it I did enjoy. Some of it I found funny. I wasn't like, you know, ha ha ha, you know, in about anything, but I did find it, you know, pretty amusing. And that was probably the best aspect of the film, really. And then you have my boy Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, aka Carnage. I thought he was great. I like Woody Harrison in most things and he had that wonderful vibe of being, you know, really fun but also quite twisted. Obviously they had to tone him down because it was still a PG-13 film. For some reason over here it was a 15 but there was barely anything that justified that. But I just felt that there was more time needed just to see what was going on in this character's head. Not only after he escaped but then what he was doing before he ran into Eddie Brock again. There was just a chunk of his character that I felt that we didn't get to see, and that was a shame because Harrison was just stealing the show whenever he was on screen. You have also Stephen Graham as Patrick Mulligan, who honestly was so superfluous to this film. And it's a shame because Stephen Graham, I love him as an actor. He's great. But this was such a throwaway role, I just didn't care for him in this film. Same rules could apply to Naomi Harris, but to a more extreme degree. Naomi Harris is an actress I love, but as Frances Barrison, she was merely a plot device for Cletus and nothing more. There was barely anything to her. And just when I thought we'd get a little bit of, you know, backstory as to what was going on with her once her and Cassidy reunited, it was just like there was nothing. And we also don't even get to understand where her powers came from. And, you know, if this was in the X-Men universe, that would make sense. Why? Because, you know, you could just assume she was a mutant. But there is no explanation as to why she was in that same crazy asylum school like Cletus was. And how she had her abilities and why she has them. And, yeah, that was just completely dumb. 
and Michelle Williams, another actress that I really like, but again, a big nothing in this film. She has a part to play, but overall, big meh. And now we come to the presentation. Visually, I will say this film is definitely better than the previous one. I feel like the visual effects artist found a way to make the symbiotes look a little cleaner. They understand the group of the symbiotes a lot better and it just looked a lot cleaner. The way in which the visual effects animated their characters when they were in movement or when they were talking. It just looked so much nicer than the last film. And this is a pretty good live action adaptation of Venom and Carnage, at least in terms of looking like their comic book counterparts. I will still admit that some of the action was not so nicely choreographed. It was sometimes either too dark or just the way in which the cinematography was done. It was framed in really ugly ways, so you couldn't see the action in you know the most clear-cut way. And when it comes to the film score... We have a new film composer because I think it was Ludwig Göransson that did the last one and I thought that was just okay. But Marco Beltrami, who I have seen, or should I say I've heard his music in a number of films, his music in here was okay. It didn't really elevate the film and there was definitely no sort of Venom theme that you had going on with this film, which was a shame, but his film score was serviceable. So now we come to the conclusion. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, overall was an okay film. I feel like I liked it maybe just a little bit more than the last one, but at the same time, I put it on par just because there were certain mistakes and issues I had with this film that just don't elevate it that much higher than the previous one. Certain small elements come together in a really solid way, especially when it comes to Eddie and Venom or... Woody Harrelson as Carnage and some of the action sequences, especially towards the end of the film when Carnage is actually, you know, doing his thing. There was some kick-ass stuff going on and I was having a good time. But again, the film was too rushed. It needed more time to establish certain things and let certain situations just, you know, stew, marinate and happen. But as it stands, I'm just like, eh. I am curious to see where they're going to go with the future of this, uh, with these characters and this universe, but yeah, still not like, you know, over the moon. All right, so that's my reviews done, ladies and gentlemen. What did you think of Halloween Kills and Venom Let There Be Carnage? Did you like them? Did you dislike them? Did you like them more than their previous incarnations? Or did you like them less? Whatever your thoughts are, drop them in the comment section below or hit me up on Twitter where I'm at hypersonic 55 or at FilmFocus55. Check out the Facebook page, FilmFocus, which I think is either FilmFocus or FilmFocus55 or FilmFocus Podcast. I honestly can't remember what name I gave that thing. But check us out on there. Uh, the podcast is on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and all those other places where you can find podcasts, so look me up. And yeah, the next review that we'll have up for the podcast fairly soon is Dune. I checked that out recently, and I thought it was a good time. Not a, uh, you know, crazy, amazing good time, but pretty darn close, and I will explain why in the next review, so look out for that when it comes. But until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hypersonic 55, signing out. Peace.